Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. And you know, David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. We sure do. So are you trying to figure out what's holding you back when it comes to talking about sex? Don't you wish it would be a lot easier if you could simply open up and share your thoughts and ideas about sex and sexuality as freely as we do about other day-to-day topics? Well, on today's show, we're going to be discussing why culture doesn't encourage talking about sex and sexuality and how that affects our intimate relationships. We'll also take a peek into the U.S. perspective regarding sexual values, behaviors, and attitudes compared to those seen around the world, and maybe what changes we could make to create a better sex life and a stronger relationship. Absolutely. But like we do every show before we get going, we want to tell you all about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex, but nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot. So if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer, and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket, that's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. It sure does, and so does today's show. We are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we're so excited to welcome today's special guest. Dr. Janelle Carroll is a dynamic and award-winning professor, author, speaker, life coach, and consultant. Wow, she is a busy person. Janelle, thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your busy day um, to be on our show today. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you today. Wow, it's going to be great. So why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this realm of sex education and coaching and everything that you do. Yeah, so it started way back when uh, my undergrad degree was in psychology. So I knew that I really wanted to do something to help people and work kind of with the mind. Uh, I had a mentor in college who was a sexuality teacher. And the two of us really saw eye to eye and ended up publishing research on why college students have sex. What are the motives for sex in college? And so that study kind of was my springboard to decide that I wanted to go back and get my doctorate in human sexuality, which I did. And um, that led to some other changes, most recently of which was becoming a certified life coach or mental fitness coach. Mm-hmm. Great. So what was the answer then? What was the biggest reason why uh, college students have sex? 
Well, at that time, so that was in the late 80s. And what we found was some significant gender differences in more women were saying that they their motives involved love and, uh, you know, feeling wanted and needed by their partners. And more men said things like, you know, I want to get off. I want to have an orgasm. It's all about the physical pleasure. So it was more emotional in women and more physical in men. The interesting thing is that 20 years later, I replicated the study. And I found that it flip-flopped. Wow. All of a sudden, men were talking about their emotional and intimate needs, and women were talking about owning their sexual pleasure. And to be honest, I don't think anything really changed other than people were more able to say what their needs were, oh. more empowered to do that. Uh-huh. Absolutely. It, it's very interesting because we, we travel a lot and we go to a lot of these open-minded lifestyle resorts where you can explore your sexuality. And um, in the past three or four years, we've been seeing a lot more of the younger people in their mid-20s to 30s coming down to explore their sexuality. And it seems like the younger generation is a lot more open now with trying different things and they don't have to be necessarily in one relationship. They might be um, mega dating. They might be seeing different people and they're very open with telling their partners um, about, hey, you know, I like same sex sex. I like sex with multiple people. I like fantasies. We had Dr. Justin Miller on our show and he did a huge study about, you know, the number one thing that people uh, fantasize about is having a threesome or, or group sex. And we're mm-hmm. seeing it in the younger people where they're doing a lot more exploration. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm not sure that I totally agree with that in the college uh, population. Mm -hmm. Maybe in those resorts, there's more open mindedness. But I've seen a lot of changes, especially during covid with um, with college students and young people in their sexuality. So I think there's a lot more work that we need to do Mm -hmm. to get them to be more comfortable and confident in their sexuality. And I think a lot of that starts with talking about sexual pleasure and what turns you on. Mm -hmm. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the books that you've written about puberty, because that's probably the first place to learn about our bodies and what's going on and and what is sex and sexuality all about. We're pulling it way back now. I know, right? So that's pulling it way back. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I would even go further back than that, because I think that the minute a child is born, we have an opportunity as parents to really educate them about their bodies. I mean, I I don't know if you remember being a little kid, but that game that parents play where they're like, what is this? And they point to their eyes and the kid says, that's my eye. What is this? Oh my God, that's my nose. They notoriously leave out the genitals. Mm -hmm. And so there's very little language around, you know, what is our reproductive anatomy? And so what happens is kids develop this idea that sex is dirty, Mm -hmm. that those parts of their body are bad for some reason because nobody talks about them. Mm -hmm. And so my, you know, I wrote a college level human sexuality textbook that I use. It's an award-winning book. It's used all over the world. Um, And that was to try to help, you know, college students get a foundational base of sexual knowledge. The puberty books were more, you know, the idea that when kids, when parents don't talk about sex with their kids or prepare their kids for puberty, there's often some negative repercussions to that. They grow up feeling a little bit, um, you know, distance from their body, some body image issues. You know, in our culture, we we don't empower kids to ask questions about sex because they, a lot of times they don't have the terminology or the language. And the parents don't even know how to answer the questions. That's half the problem. 
Yeah, I mean, there maybe there are some, but you're right. I agree. The majority of parents, they didn't have parents who talked to them. They certainly didn't take a human sexuality course. Mm -hmm. um, and people get tripped up. Do I use scientific knowledge? Do I use slang? What do I use to talk about it? Yeah. I remember when my daughter was first born, I asked someone who had several children. I said, well, what, do you, what word do you use to describe the vulva area? And um, because back then it was always a cutesy word. It was never the vulva when you're talking about a small baby. And she answered, well, whatever you choose, just know they're going to be screaming it out in the grocery store. So pick something good. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I know one of my students the other day told me that their mom called it a, a tinkle box. Uh, there you they're go. like, don't forget to wipe your tinkle box. I'm like, my mom called it a diddle. And I said, I'm not calling it a diddle for my daughter. So, you know, I don't even remember what yeah. I called it for her. But um, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's There's a lot, lot of mystery surrounding the, the language. That's for sure. But you did write two books, one geared at vulva owners and another geared at penis owners as they're going through puberty. Tell us about those books. Well, so the girl, the, the girl book, The Day Aunt Flo Comes to Visit, is a book that I published a few years ago. And the reason that I published it was because I found that many girls, when they go through puberty, if they haven't received the information about how their body changes, that can also often be a very difficult time for them, especially because they often go through puberty before boys do, and their body becomes sexualized. And so they might get bullied, they might get teased about their breasts or their curves or whatever. And so they develop this kind of negative body image that creates all of these long life, lifelong problems that affect their developing sexuality. So that was kind of the reasoning for the girl book. The boy book, one of the things I realized is that in our culture, we, we kind of expect boys to have all the answers. You know, they're weak if they ask for help, they should just know it all and do it themselves. And I think that does a disservice to boys too. Boys deserve a good solid understanding about their bodies during puberty. The other thing I'll tell you um, is I think that boys need to know what goes on with girls and girls need to know yeah. what goes on with boys. I think that's really important too. Yeah. I remember in grade four when we first learned about the menstrual flow and what's going to happen to our body. I was disappointed that they separated the two boys. And when I asked my teacher, so do boys have something that happens to? No, 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 they don't have anything. I'm thinking, really? We have to go through all this and they get nothing? Like, why is yeah. it? And so I don't even know why they separated us during this uh, sex ed, I guess it was. Back I know. Then. I'm like you, Carol. I thought that they had periods and right. I was going to find out about it later. I know. Yeah. Right? It's like so confusing because yeah. they said nothing about what happens with the boys. We thought they were learning right. about their own periods over in the other room so yeah right. it's confusing when you don't get all the information at the and right you know time. what boys are so much com more compassionate towards women when they have a good solid understanding mm -hmm. of menstruation and puberty for girls oh they just thank god every day that this doesn't happen to them <laughs> exactly exactly right I'm just sitting here being quiet. I know, right? Not saying anything. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your health and wellness coaching, which you said recently you got your coaching certificates. Um, how does that working? What kind of patients do you see and what kind of practice do you have? Well, so one of the positives for me that came out of COVID was um, last spring, I decided that, you know, I'd always wanted to do some life coaching. I, my background in psychology and sexuality was a natural fit for doing some mental fitness coaching or coaching around sexuality and gender issues. So, you know, one of my core beliefs is that sexuality is an integral part of who we are as human beings, right? It includes many aspects of who we are, our ability to be intimate, to be vulnerable, um, to trust other people. So my coaching practice really looks at 
um, how shame and guilt affect sexual functioning. I mean, let's face it, we none of us are born with sexual shame and guilt. That's totally learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and but what about the clients that you see that are help that you're helping them with their health and wellness? Are they coming oh. to you because they have sex issues? Oh, all across the board. I have I have clients that come to me who are struggling with sexuality and gender-related identity questions. So somebody might be questioning their sexual orientation or their gender identity or wrestling with, you know, gender fluidity. Um, there could be couples who are dealing with how to communicate more about their sexual needs or parents who are trying to learn the best way to talk to their kids about these issues. I mean, it's it's a wide gamut. I work with adolescents and adults um, just trying to empower them to, I, I think what happens is that there's these negative voices in our head, right? And these voices tell us that sex is dirty, sex is bad. Um, you know, there, there's very little talk of sexual pleasure in a lot of sex education curriculum today. So it's, it's kind of empowering them to quiet those voices because we have a choice in which voice we're going to listen to. Yeah. So quieting those voices and kind of going to that, I call it the sage part of our brain, kind of the, the right brain, not the, not the crazy left brain and, and our, you know, the part of our brain that causes us to um, get fearful and scared, the amygdala. Um, so kind of bypassing that and really taking a deep breath and kind of refocusing and getting grounded and centered. You know, you, you've mentioned the world, the word sexual fluidity and, you know, Carol and I live in the world of sexuality as swingers. We see a lot of people trying, exploring, doing different things. But one of the things that we've spoken about, and and I'd like you to elaborate a little bit is the, the sexual fluidity is that you don't have to put yourself in a box and stay there forever in the, today's world, you're allowed changing. You're allowed being different this Tuesday and next Tuesday. Yeah, tell right. Us, tell us, explain that to the layman who has no idea what sexual fluidity is. So sexual fluidity, it can mean a lot of different things, and the terminology is often changing. But we used to think that there was a that there were only two boxes, male and female, and straight and gay. And everybody had to be in one of those boxes. Today, what we're realizing is that it is much more of a continuum, right? So somebody might um, not feel that they are completely female. They might be somewhere, the fluidity might be somewhere in between male and female, or it might be that sometimes they want to express their femininity and sometimes they want to express their masculinity. In the same way that we have bisexuality, I think there's kind of been some negativity surrounding bisexuality in the last you know, couple of decades where we think that bisexuals are sitting on the fence or they're really gay, but they can't be and, and whatever. But so fluidity is just embracing the human condition that there's a lot more space in those fields than just two different, just, just the binaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's Very funny well said. because we have some good friends and they are a same-sex married female couple who uh-huh. play in the lifestyle, but only play with men. So they're, bi- they're bisexual, yeah. but they always choose yeah. their bisexuality when they're playing in the lifestyle, usually together. I right, think. they're a lesbian married yeah. couple who right. play with men. Yeah, uh-huh. interesting. So interesting. You, yeah, you have all sorts, right? It's all good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's not, it's trying to help people come to terms and embrace their sexuality and not think, because we live in a culture that, you know, we've got gender police and sexual police out there. They're trying to get people into those boxes. Yeah. So it's empowering them 
to explore right. and allow themselves not to feel shame and guilt about that. Now, in your practice, are you seeing patterns? Are you seeing any like popular type of problem that's this recurring and recurring? Is there one main problem that you're seeing a lot of these days? Well, my coaching practice, I just started within the last year. So yeah, there's been some some issues that people uh, discuss. One of the one of the issues, and I'm finding a lot of that. There's more talk of the Sun College campuses today, is the non-binary kind of identity, um, the gender fluid. Um, so, you know, students coming out as trans or trying to wrestle with those feelings and how do I communicate that to my friends and family, and um, you know, kind of just reducing those those negative uh, inner voices that we were talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's really good that they have a place to go Absolutely. to talk about it and to get some help to yeah. to help them smooth through it because I'm sure there's a lot of families that are definitely rejecting those kinds of ideas from their children because they just don't understand. Yeah, and I just want to say one more thing about that too, Carol. I, I don't think of the clients that I work with in coaching as patients. I know you said the word mm -hmm. patience before, but... I think that people are naturally curious and resourceful. I think coaching is more about helping them explore their themselves and empowering them to with it's okay, right? You have a choice in the voice that you listen to, mm -hmm. but you're not broken. You're not bad. You're not, you know, there's nothing negative mm -hmm. about you. Right. So the word patience is a negative thing is what you're saying. It's not negative. You don't want it to be negative. I, I hear no, what you're saying. No, I get it. no, not yeah. at all. Yeah, not I get at all. It. Oh, that's cool. I, I'm really glad that you pointed that out. I think it's a great way to, to look at it. That's awesome. So Janelle, um, you've been on tons of talk shows. You've done lots of as a speaker at public speaking, um, we can go I'll do a whole show on that. But we always like to know, you know, what's one of the most intriguing questions you've been asked? Oh, my God. So many intriguing questions. I was actually thinking about this and trying to come up with what I wanted to tell you about. So I think, you know, in the college age population, I think most of the questions that they have about sex revolve around physiology. Mm -hmm. So things like, can you pee with a tampon in? Mm -hmm. How is that possible, mm -hmm. right? So because if you don't know the reproductive anatomy, it makes sense. Like how many holes are there down there? Who knows, mm -hmm. right? Um, or like when you get an erection, um, do you get lightheaded? Because all that blood is rushing <laughs> to your penis. That's a legitimate <laughs> so question. <laughs> yeah. Depends, yeah how large was... the, depends how large the penis is, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, the other day I went into class with a, uh, with a bottle with three quarters of a cup of fluid in it. And I said, here you go. This is how much blood you need to get that erection, uh -huh. right? But you're right. It depends. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah that's, that's funny. Well, I guess that's pretty legit questions, but that is definitely funny. Now, you mentioned yeah. earlier that you repeated your study uh, about why people have sex. But over mm -hmm. these last few 25, 30 years that you've been doing this, have you noticed that there's a change even in the curriculum that you're teaching? Are you teaching different topics or different ways these days versus yeah. 20 years ago? Um, you know what's interesting? There, There's definitely a lot of changes on, on college campuses Yes. The answer to that question is yes. And some of the, some of my takeaways um, that I think are changes in the classroom is I guess, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. I guess I thought by 2021, more parents would be talking to their kids about sex. But what I'm finding is the majority by far college students, their parents are still not talking to them about sex. So they're coming to my classroom as a junior or senior in college and it's the first time that they've got received any, you know, formal education in sexuality. 
and that's disconcerting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them learn about learn about sex through the internet, right? Pornhub, Pornhub, and we know that that's you know while Pornhub can be great, and I have no problem about the use of porn. I think that when we when we use that as our sex education, it sets us up for disaster. Absolutely, and you know that that talk that when I grew up, your parents are going to have that talk with you about sex and and don't make a baby and don't do that. In in our generation, you know, I know talking to my boys, that conversation is continual. It's ongoing. It's 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 okay. it's not a one-time discussion. And the fact that you have university students coming in and the first time they're hearing about sex and sexuality and conversations and and tell me how you feel and and what you know and what you don't know and hey, you know, self-pleasuring is a good thing. It's just so wrong in the environment today. We have to as parents be open and free. And if you don't know how to talk to your kids about sex, call Janelle. She'll teach (laughs) you. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's so true because we grow up in this sex negative space, right? right? That everything is bad that don't, you know, you're going to get pregnant or people are going to call you a slut or a whore. People are going to, you're going to get an STD. There's very little talk about the positives. In fact, the majority of my students say their parents never talk to them about any positive about sexuality. Like how great is an orgasm, right? Mm-hmm. It feels mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. It's a release of tension, but there's very little talk about that right. pleasurable part and, of sex. And you did mention Pornhub, and that's where a lot of people are going to get their sexual education. But I just want to point out, because we're on that topic, that there is now a section on Pornhub that is a sex education and our sexual, good, wellness, yeah. sexual wellness area where our good friend, Dr. Lori Batito, she's the director of that sexual wellness the area on Pornhub, mm. where there's real doctors posting real information information and anybody who's listening can go there and look there as well there is and reach out to them and reach out to them if you wanted to but there is some not everybody knows so there is an area there where you can actually learn some information great point Uh, yeah great point and and i'm glad you, you mentioned pornhub because you know porn has a place in sexuality like um, the Fast and the Furious, like has, enter- it's entertainment. Has a place in yeah. driving, right? You know, you you don't learn how to drive from the Fast and Furious. <laughs> you shouldn't learn how to have sex from Pornhub, but it definitely opens up discussions with your partner about could we, should we, would we, and it's just entertainment, like any other movie is out there. And if you want to learn about sex, you have to go to the professionals. You have to talk to them, and. Um, you know, how often do we talk about self-pleasuring where you just teach yourself about your body and if you learn about your body, you can teach your partner about what you like and what makes you happy. Right, right. Exactly. I think the biggest problem with, with learning about sex on Pornhub is this idea that everybody has sex in that way. I mean, clearly, someone who's hired as a porn star has different physical attributes yes. than somebody who's not hired as a porn star, right? It's like a star. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, and it's like actresses exactly. and actors on TV. They're that's not real people. They're just acting. Right. And that's kind of what we gotta get our heads around. And if you do, that's fine too. It's okay right. to watch porn if you understand that it is a produced entertainment Correct. media yeah. and it's not about how real sex and real life sex works. But so. we are ordering pizza tonight, right? We're we hoping that pizza guy is gonna be a young stud. <laughs> Every time we order pizza, we always talk about that typical scene where the guy 
comes in and we oh, make yeah. up a little fantasy oh, about what we're going to do. It's a girl tonight. Oh, it's a girl tonight. Yeah. Okay, sure. Oh, sure. that's really funny. That's funny. <laughs> I had a student tell me the other day, we were talking about porn in class, and she told me that she realized that for most of her sex life, she did things to kind of imitate porn stars because she thought that's what guys wanted. And she had so much shame and guilt about that because she didn't know, right? Well, that's the so danger. It's like, yeah. Exactly. If they if if the porn is about coming on a woman's face and a woman thinks that's the way guys get off, then you know that's the learning. Yeah, and it unfortunately, is. that's not right for everyone. Well, Maybe and some people. It's the same for a young man because he thinks, "Are you ready now for me to come on your face?" Because that's what they. It's, yeah. So it's vice versa. You and know, you know, right. we we had Cindy Gallup on our show, and she did a TED talk all about. Um, guy. Oh, I love Cindy. Yeah, yes. she's awesome. She's yes. been on her show a couple of times, and she loves dating younger guys. And she goes out with them, and all of them say, "So, do you want me to come on your face?" And she's like, "If I wanted you to come on my face, I would tell you that that's what I want." But you know what? Maybe today I want you to come on my tits. Maybe I want you to do it in my ass. Maybe you want. But just because you saw it on porn doesn't mean that the place to come is on my face. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I, I love I love what she says about that. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. Make yeah. love, not porn, right? right? It's about real yeah. world sex. It's not about yeah. produced sex. Yeah, you absolutely. Exactly. And that's I think that's the fear too. Like when you watch too much porn, you tend to disassociate during sex mm-hmm. and you see yourself from mm-hmm. above, like with this performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like, am I doing it right? How does my body look? Am I lasting long enough? Can I come? I mean, I was watching a show the other day called Sex Life. I don't know if you've yeah, seen it. Saw, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. And you know, there's one scene where um, the couple is going up an elevator 20 floors and he's like, I'm going to make you come from here to there. Right. And it seems so simple. Uh, right. And I think that the the learning is, hey, you should be able to come in 22 floors. And I'm not sure that's possible for most women. Yeah, no, not for most women. Absolutely not. Oh, when Carol takes out her womanizer, she only needs 10 floors. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a learned experience. That's from doing it over and over yeah. and over again. I know how to make myself orgasm very quickly, but most women don't. So minutes. yes, right. that's, the average is right. still 20 minutes. And guys, remember that. That's really exactly. the average, no matter what happens on porn. Well, this is a great segment. We're just going to take a quick break. Remind everybody that we are Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And we're having uh, an amazing discussion here. Here with sexuality professor Dr. Janelle Carroll. Stay right there. We won't be. We won't be long. Alrighty, we are going to tell you about topless travel. If you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply must book with Topless Travel. From Hedonism 2 in Jamaica to Desire in Cancun to all the Bliss Cruise experiences, Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. Yeah, their trips and events are all about the people and their sexy, fun experiences. Let's just shout out to some of the sexy host couples like Chelsea and Mark, who are there to ensure that you have one hell of a great vacation. And, you know, uh, we love traveling, so you'll find us on a lot of their amazing and sexy erotic trips. But listen up. The one we're really looking forward to is their sexy silver full takeover at Desire Pearl, October 16th to 23rd, 2022. We're going to be broadcasting live from there. Rooms are selling out quickly, so book now. Come and join us for the week. We'd love to meet you. And listen up. For those of you booking your room before October 31st, there's a special deal being offered right now. And for all that information about this trip and any other event, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the Topless Travel Events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Ever, ever, ever. We are Carol and David. You know that. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. Now let's get back to our show. We're having an amazing discussion with Dr. Janelle Carroll. She's a health, wellness coach, professor, author, and a whole bunch of other things that she does. (laughs) 
So now let's get into the reasons why our culture doesn't encourage talking about sex. Great question. Yeah. You know, one of the things I forget that I think a lot of us forget is that we were founded on puritanical principles. So there were some Puritans who left England because England was too liberal, right? They wanted a more conservative uh, environment. And so they came over and a lot of those principles of, you know, sex is only good in the missionary position and only for procreation and, you know, kind of that work hard, live hard, whatever. But I think, um, I think those, those principles still exist today and, and they really shadow our sex negativity. They really kind of feed into that negativity that we have about sexuality. It's amazing how cultures can last that long as you think we've been pushing this envelope I've, ever since I can remember with, you know, equal rights and, and female femininity and we need, uh, you know, equal uh, opportunities. Since I was a kid, you know, we're talking 58 years later and we still mm-hmm. have the same issues. So there's right. cultures around how women should behave and how they do behave, which could be wrong and, and viewed wrongly to, by a lot of people. How come we're not yeah. over that already? I think that a lot of it goes back to religion as well, because I think there's this real cur- this this real conservative nature when it comes to religion, like what is acceptable and what is it's not very sex positive. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, as I've traveled around the world and looked at other cultures and kind of the acceptance of sexuality versus, you know, kind of the sex positive and sex negative. I mean, there's certainly cultures that are way more open minded about sexuality than ours. Take, for instance, Amsterdam, the Netherlands, some of those European countries. Um, I went there and uh, worked with parents who were telling me about their their children and their knowledge. And one of them had a daughter who was nine years old, who I swear to God, she knew more about sex than my college students now. Like she, she could answer any kind of question. And I said to her mother, are you like a lot of us parents would be afraid of their kid knowing that much information at nine years old. They're going to think they're going to go out and do it. They're going to go explore it. And she goes, you know, I think ignorance is way more damaging than knowledge. Yeah. And that has always stuck with me. Yeah, exactly. Now, when I was growing up, we didn't talk about sex um, in our home. But I know that for a fact, before I went to kindergarten, I knew where babies came from. I knew that what sex was about and how it was. That's how you made babies. But we didn't learn anything about sexuality for pleasure like i don't even remember when we actually learned about sex for pleasure and maybe even in grade seven i'm not even sure Uh, but high school is when we started talking about sex but you always talk about the first time you had sex it was all about you giving the guy a blowjob because it was about pleasuring him yeah which was what i thought again which was i thought was my role to make him happy uh, as what females are supposed to do for their partners so that they'll love them and that's how i thought i was going to gain love by giving a really good blowjob and you know that still exists in college mm-hmm. ca- on college campuses today it's a phenomenon known as male in the head where <laughs> you know good sex is a male having an orgasm oh. there's less you know interest in a, a, like when you look at hookups when you look at hookups the amount of women there's a huge orgasm gap in hooking up in casual sex 
it's about the male orgasm more than the female orgasm. And usually that's the end of sex when he comes, it's over kind of thing, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that still exists, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like what I was saying. Like, since I was a kid, this is the same story over and over. And you were saying you were so surprised that parents are still not talking to their kids. But adults today, no matter what age you are, if you have kids, it's hard to talk to kids. It's a hard conversation to have. First of all, kids don't want to talk about it. And so they don't get to learn, but you really have to be adamant to sit them down. Um, But there's not that many parents that are comfortable. Do you really believe that the kids don't want to learn or they feel like if they bring it up to their parents, they're going to be shamed or they'll be embarrassed because the parents might not know the answers? I don't know if kids are asking the questions. I don't even know if they feel comfortable enough to ask their parents the questions. And so some parents are saying, phew, nobody's bothered me and no one's asked me a question. Every high school mm-hmm. student should be made to watch Sex Education on Netflix. Right. It is the mm-hmm. best show, the mm-hmm. best written show, the most realistic conversation, opening dialogue um, starter, sh- starter yeah. out there. It is so well done. Yeah, I agree. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in the fact that parents should be the primary sex educators of their kids. I don't think it's the school's job. Mm -hmm. I think that parents have their unique values and ideas about sexuality. And if they want their kids to know, they should be the ones that are educating their kids about this. I think that's really important. But I'll also say that when kids are young and you probably remember when your kids were young, they think you are the smartest person Mm -hmm. around. Like they'll come to you like mommy and daddy are so smart. And then when they get to adolescence, what happens? You're the stupidest. The smartest, right? yeah. yeah, the door slams shut right. and their friends are the ones that are smart. You're right. an idiot, yeah. right? You yeah. know nothing, mom. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. so I think I'm not a big fan of the one and done sex talk. Mm-hmm. I think it has to start early mm-hmm. because if you're in there early and you're talking about it, laying the foundation, then kids won't get anxious about it to ask their questions Agreed. later. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I know I did not do a good job with my kids. I know now more than I ever did before, but I'm not not saying it's too late. However, they're not interested in asking me questions about sex anymore. So um, they're all adults now is what I'm saying. But I wished uh, I knew more back then. I wish I did have the balls to sit down and talk to them about sex, but I just didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's like I start my human sexuality course, you know, every semester. And I say, I have two main goals. I want to make you the best lover you can possibly be, the best partner, the best lover. And I want you to be having sex when you're 80 or 90, right? That's, that's a good goal to have. Number two, I want you when you have children to be open and be the parent that is approachable. That, that, that are not embarrassed about this because you took a sexuality course and you understand the importance of knowledge and being able to, you know, have questions, be curious about these issues. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was a young woman, I remember finding a book, which I read from beginning to the end, and it was how to become a great lover, but it was Perfect. only geared on how to make your partner, a male partner. It was for the woman to, to, please their man. I only realized that many, many years later, but how to be a great lover in that text was all about how the woman has to please the man. But what's very interesting is because you learned that so young in life, you still have a tendency to want to be the one to start to mm-hmm. please mm-hmm. when we have sex the first thing you go for is my cock now i'm not complaining <laughs> every guy likes that no, no, no. <laughs> but, but i'm a giver and i like going down on you that's why 69 is so good yeah right yeah, but 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 carol mm-hmm. i mean it, it it starts young like you were saying janelle and because that was ingrained and that's how over the years what you did that's your go-to yeah i know it's, right yeah and right. we always tend to and I, stay with things that we're familiar with 
Right. And I think that that's the exciting part of the when I replicated that study on why people have sex, to see that more women today are embracing their sexual pleasure, the importance of their sexual pleasure, exploring masturbation and what feels good, and kind of learning to share that with their partners. On the other side of that coin, I think it's really important for men to look at the value that they have for intimacy mm-hmm. in relationships. Because for a long time, you know, men were taught, you just want to get off, you just want orgasms, you don't need intimacy, but they do. Mm-hmm. And they talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's good. I'm glad to hear that that is a, a flip that's going on right now. And mm-hmm. anybody out there listening, we should just be keep, keep encouraging those kinds we, of We joke changes. that I'm, I'm the woman in our relationship. <laughs> I'm the romantic. <laughs> I like the intimacy. I put out the candles and stuff. I know it's fun. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned earlier about the, some differences in sexual behaviors or values around the world, like Amsterdam. And I think Europe in general is much more open. And um, I remember even seeing being visiting a friend there. And in the evening, the TV was on. Uh, an eight or nine year old boy was watching and there was a sex scene and there was not an issue. It was just normal to see adults having sex. Mm-hmm. But what other kinds of behaviors and attitude differences have you seen around the world? I think the the one thing that fascinates me and that really has stayed with me is this openness about um, kind of talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to sex around the world. So, you know, in in more Asian cultures, in in Japan, um, I found a lot more conservative kind of ideas about sex. But in in the European countries, I think there's this openness um, where. Uh, there's just more understanding about the importance of sexual pleasure, right? Yeah, nice. That's cool. I mean, are we seeing any changes in, um, you think there'll be some changes in America to be more open like United, like uh, Europe or not? I don't know. It's going to take, you know, that, that's a question my students always ask. Like, can we be more like the European countries? Mm-hmm. And I think that there, you know, there's a lot more religion here. There's a lot more conservative kind of ideas since we were founded on those puritanical principles. I think it's going to take time. And it really starts with good, solid sex education. Yeah. I can't say that enough. I think it's really important for parents to educate their kids and talk about these issues. And even if you're embarrassed, I mean, yeah. own it. Right. Yeah. You might not have all the answers, but right. you can find out. And you know, maybe a good good ways to make sure that the adults have the information. They might they might be embarrassed because they don't really know. They only know their own experience, and they don't really know how things work. They just know their own experience. It's it's so hard. I mean, there's still states in the U.S. that don't allow you to buy a sex toy. Yeah. Right. And there's states that forbid teaching sex education in schools. So right away, you have states that put this negative aura, like Janelle was saying, over sexuality. Whereas, you know, you have other states like California and New York, which are much more open. And we see it in the the alternative lifestyles where there's a lot more kink and BDSM and swinging and and open um, relationships going on. And it's a a long road that we're going to go over in Europe you know, the main beach in Barcelona is a naked beach. Well, all the way up the coast. Oh, they're exactly. All, they're all naked beaches. And, and, it's, wow. and it's not where people are going there gawking. It just is. Yeah. It's just how yeah. they Take are. your family there. Right. Your whole family's going yeah. naked. And it's not sexual. It's just nudity. Naked. That's all it is. Right. Yeah, that's so funny because I filmed in uh, Amsterdam. We were, we were doing a project in Amsterdam where I was interviewing people about sexuality. And after we were done for the day, the film crew asked if we all wanted to go to the sauna and get naked together. And I was like, 
oh no, no, no. Like I'm worried. These are my work colleagues, right? I'm not going to go get naked with them, but they didn't see it as nudity. No, they correct. saw it as just, you know, being comfortable and confident. Right, right. And that's, what's interesting is there's so much less body image issues there. Right. People are comfortable. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a magazine in Amsterdam called Linda, which is kind of like uh, Oprah magazine here. Yeah. It's written by a woman named Linda. And in the back of the issue, there's always a feature, which I don't speak Dutch, so I can't tell you what it is in Dutch, but it's it's a picture of somebody and it's with their clothes on and the next page is with their clothes off. And the readers of the magazine, they all vie for this position yeah. to do this. And they tell their friends, did you see me in Linda magazine? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine here in the U.S.? No. We're so uncomfortable uh-huh. with nudity, uh-huh. right? Absolutely. That's the thing. It's going to take a long time. Even the female nipple, which has a, you know, a function, breastfeeding. My goodness, you have to hide yourself and... If you want to breast, uh, breastfeed your child in public, that's craziness. Not in Montreal. Well, yeah. Well, we have a lot of more liberal laws in Canada than, than are, there are in the United States. But wow, those kinds of things. Now, when you were doing your, your worldwide travels, did you talk anything about alternative lifestyles like kink or BDSM or swinging? Oh, yeah. No, we definitely did. And we did a lot more research on that. Um before I get past the nipple comment, okay, I just want to sure. tell you that when my friend um, from Amsterdam was here, she had trouble finding a bra that wasn't padded. And I think we are so phobic of nipples in this country right. that, you know, you're like, oh, my God, what if they get hard and somebody's going to see them? Um, but back to your comment about alternative sexualities, I think that there is so much more embracing of sexual pleasure and acceptance. And maybe that's because of the attitudes. I mean, cultural attitudes about sexuality affect all sexual behaviors and practices, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just want to ask the question, you know, through all your travels, which countries out there have the most liberal alternative sexual lifestyles that you've seen? I would say the Netherlands, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think, you know, the, Nether- the Netherlands is a country that... Um, that starts sex education almost at birth. I mean, there's, there's sex education that starts at kindergarten. And, and, you know, it's not that you're talking about penetrative sex in kindergarten. You're talking about your body and appreciating your body and learning the proper names and terminology. And then it's kind of like a, it's like building a house. You pour a foundation and then you build on that as, as kids get older. They're, they also had a program in the Netherlands that airs on nightly television that is on a channel that's similar to our PBS here mm-hmm. in the United States. So it's a it's a federally funded station. Um, and they talk about um, they pick one sexual behavior and one drug related behavior. And every night they talk about the good, the bad and the ugly mm-hmm. of those two things. So, you know, they'll talk about, say, sexting. It's bad. You might get caught. Your parents might see it. An employer might see it. But at the same time, they're like, if you're going to do it, here's the way to get the best lighting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like they trust the kids to be able to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think that is in the U.S., we're so afraid if we talk to them about sex, they're going to run out there and be humping like bunnies. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. And that fear is hard to get over because um, it just feels, I, I mean, they think it's right. They think it's true. So it's kind of hard to convince them otherwise, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Right, well, right. Exactly. Just more discussions, more... Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just uh, thinking, I want to go back to this nudity thing because, you know, we love being naked. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> you know, when we go out on Bliss Cruise and there's five or 6,000 people, we go to Hedonism, there's 600 people, and everybody's naked. And you'd think that all the guys are walking around with erections, 
but they're not. And it's because it's so normal. Well, no, it's because it's non-sexualized. Nudity doesn't have to equal sex. There's places where you can go and have sex and get aroused and have wet pussies and hard cocks. But when we're standing on the beach or on the main deck of the the Bliss Cruise, the the guys aren't walking around knocking their cocks into the sides (laughs) of the ship. I mean, it just Uh doesn't happen. Uh No, that's right. right. It's it's, it's really a, a normal state for people to be, which is nude. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you hit on a really important point is that, you know, in the U.S., nudity equals sex. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the idea, yeah. the ideals that they mm-hmm. have. No, and it's mm-hmm. very, very interesting. So we're just going to take another break here. Remind everybody again that we're Carolyn David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We're having a um, very an animated discussion with author, professor, and coach, Dr. Janelle Carroll. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. But first, another shout out to one of our show's sponsors. So stay right there. If you're looking for an open-minded online community to find compatible people and events in your area, go to sdc.com and use promo code 30314 to get your first month free. So check it out. Absolutely. All righty. This is a sexy lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. Yeah, we're chatting with health and wellness coach, Dr. Janelle Carroll. Uh, now let's get into some coaching advice for couples that would help them improve their relationships and, of course, have better sex. I want to ask the first question <laughs> okay, because I saw her TikTok on it. Okay, we're going to be talking about sexual diversity. First, I want to talk about octopus sex. <laughs> okay, octopus sex. Tell us about yeah. it. So, you know, the thing is, female octopi, is it octopi, octopus, I don't know, but they are very um, cannibalistic. So they octopi don't have a lot of sex. And in fact, they have evolved where the male, one of the eight legs can travel off. So he's got this traveling penis that can travel the ocean floor looking for a female partner. The good news about that is that he's not going to get killed because the female octopus will usually kill the male octopus after copulation. The bad news is octopi die slightly after having sex. So it's, it's kind of a sad thing. I mean, their detachable penis is cool but it means they're going to die. Okay, so. they die from the act of it or they've done their their deed and they're no longer they've useful. They've done their deed, right. Uh-huh. No longer useful. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, we I, have yep. some friends that would die five times a day. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine in our society if, you know, you've had your sex and now you're done. You're no longer needed. Your guys are no longer needed in our society. Population yeah. control. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's fun. see, those kind, of, those kind of fun facts about sex are really important to me because I find that if you can use a little humor, inject a little humor and laugh, um, then students become a lot more comfortable mm-hmm. with some of these topics. Mm-hmm. So I always try to find fun facts, even in my class, to sprinkle them throughout. And the octopus sex was a big one. Now, are, is your class or are your classes like those favorites that everybody is vying for and on a wait list? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why it's mostly upperclassmen that take mm-hmm. my classes because they might try to get in every year, um, but they don't get in until uh, they get higher in the in the ranking of classes. Right. So well, well, they now, are very popular. Now that the border's open, we'd love to be guest speakers at one of your classes. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Yes, <laughs> I would love it. If you want to introduce a swinging lifestyle by two crazies over here, yeah, we'd be crazy connects in the lifestyle. That would be a lot of fun. I am totally going to take you up on that. I think it's awesome. So one of the things that you must talk about to your, um, uh, I don't know the word now, clients, it would be not patients, uh, would be all about life and work balance and how that affects so much your sexual performance. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you advise those clients for that? 
Yeah, I think that so many things can interfere with healthy sexuality. A lot of that goes back to those negative messages we have in our head, right? If If we're raised thinking that sex is bad, sex is dirty, we live in a sex negative culture, I almost thought of it like a carrying around a basket and you put all these messages in and at the end of the day, you're like, well, mom wouldn't tell me what that body part was. Well, I got caught playing a sex game and my parents lost their shit. So everything is like this negativity comes crashing down on you. With work-life balance, a lot of people might be working hard and stressed out and have all these inner voices that kind of take them away from the moment. And so, again, it's learning to center, learning to get grounded. I think mental fitness to me, which is what I work on in my coaching, is building up that right part of your brain that allows you to have more curiosity and empathy for yourself and for others. The other side of your brain gets caught up in the shoulds and the oughts and, you know, the negativity. And it's kind of reducing that and choosing which voice you listen to. Mm -hmm. And sexual performance, I mean, is different for everybody, whether you don't last long enough or you don't get hard enough or you don't, it takes a lot longer to get aroused. What kind of sexual performance issues have you seen mostly? You know, the the one that really concerns me is this idea that women get turned on. It's kind of that sex lives elevator sequence, mm-hmm. right? That that like sexual arousal for women is like this. And it's not always like that. In fact, more often than not, it takes women a lot longer to lubricate and get aroused during sexuality. And sometimes it's responsive sexual desire where their partner is initiating. They don't really feel like it. But once they get into it, it feels good and they get really aroused. But it takes time. I mean, transudation is the scientific word for vaginal lubrication. We also call it vaginal sweating. It takes gravity. It takes time. An erection is much quicker to come about. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, I see a lot of and it's just it's also this understanding that, you know, very few women reach orgasm through penetration alone. Right. Clitoral stimulation right. is really, really important. And I think in sex life, it was almost always mm-hmm. by penetration, right? Yeah. You saw her doing that all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you think of porn, what happens? I mean, oh, there's penetration. The women are like, oh, oh my God, God, this is like so awesome. Yeah. I'm reaching multiple orgasms. Right, right. And what the reality is, 30% of women can reach orgasm during penetrative sex, Right. So it takes clitoral stimulation and, and women often feel that something's broken. Mm -hmm. Something's not working for them because they can't get off in 22 floors. Right. 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 You know, I'm, I'm going to talk to the guys out there because, um, we've learned how to have great sex, especially since we turned 50. And one of the things that we've learned is to slow things down. And if you think you're going slow guys go even slower because the majority of the time, and there's nothing wrong with quickies. But the majority of the time, you want your partner to feel that you're there, that you're present, that you're you're taking care of her. So go slow. And the other thing that we've learned over the years is, especially for Carol, she needs to know sort of like what's going on. And we call it all day foreplay. And we talk about it in the morning. And it's not like, okay, here's my cock. Um, You're going to get it uh, later on. I'm going to be hard. Is your pussy getting wet? No, no, no. It's giving her a nice hot coffee in the morning. It's massaging her shoulders. It's giving her her time. And then saying, you know, around six o'clock, you know, I want you to make sure you've finished all your stuff, get your brain traffic out of your brain, and I'm going to uh-huh. make you dinner. And and yes, it's a lot of work, but you know, it's worth the 
investment in your relationship to take your time to do that all day foreplay. And in the end, you will have a better sex life. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well I think that's a really good point. I like that all day foreplay. That's, <laughs> I think you should coin that. I love it. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of researchers have talked about the importance of relationship when it comes to sexuality. I mean, there's this, if there's any contemptuousness, that's yeah. also, that, that can be almost corrosive in a relationship, Absolutely. right? It can destroy a relationship. Yeah. So it's being understanding, learning how to communicate. Uh, and that's, that's a big issue for people. I, I mentioned earlier, you know, do you use that scientific terminology or do you use slang? What works for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to know. Every, every couple's different. But I think communication is definitely key. Well, what you need is a partner who gets you, who understands which yeah. buttons turn you off and which buttons turn you on. And in order to be able to, to, for them to get you, you have to have that communication. You have to talk and explain what works and what doesn't work. And, and not just once, because every day could be a little bit different. How do you feel today? We have to be talking about that. What's going to get you off today? What kind of mood you're in? And that kind of the communication is what lets us get our partners. And some days it's just not going to happen and you got to back away. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, good point. And I think you're bringing, you're touching on another issue, which is sexual consent. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a big change on college campuses right now. Just I'm glad to hear being that. sure that your partner is ready, being sure that your partner is, you know, willing and able and interested. And if you just watched porn and you saw something that you want to try on your partner, that's fine. But talk about it mm-hmm. first. Get mm-hmm. consent for mm-hmm. that first. And yeah, you know, we, we talk. Sorry, hon. Just yeah. give me a sec. We talk in the lifestyle about three rules. The first rule is ask first. The second Uh rule is no means no. And the third rule is if you don't get an enthusiastic yes, then it means no. Right. Uh Yeah, good point. Yeah, we just have to keep remembering that. And I'm so happy that California just passed that stealthing law, which is if you have a condom on, you got to keep that condom on and you cannot take it off for any reason whatsoever. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, when I was reading about this law, I was thinking, why would somebody do that? But I guess they do. And now it's law. And it's like, guys, you have to respect the woman mm-hmm. that you're having sex with. And it, it mm-hmm. can't be, well, it doesn't feel great. So I'm going to pull it off and right. then, and, and then, then come and then come yeah, or pull it off even and not come. Yeah. You yeah. can't just do just, that. It's yeah. just not, not, not yeah. right. Yeah, I also want to add in there that it it happens with same-sex couples too. Mm-hmm. You know, those those types of uh, behaviors where people consent is important across the board, whether you're old or you're young, you're same-sex, other sex, trans, non-binary, whatever it is, it's really important to communicate about mm-hmm. these issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we were watching Sex Education TV show, I really liked all the different examples of asking first. I they I saw mm-hmm. it everywhere, which I thought was even just touching an arm or touching a face. Um, they ask first I thought those were some really good examples because people forget about that they think they just have to ask to to have sex but you also have to ask before you touch somebody and uh, yeah. I think that's very very important so I, I was really impressed we kept going yes another message we yes another pom-pom. message we were the cheerleaders <laughs> yeah, for sure. well you're probably not old enough to remember that Antioch University in Ohio in the 90s they came up with a sex offense policy which everybody ridiculed in fact Saturday Night Live did a skit on what a joke it was right and they had notepads by their bed that if you wanted to you would sign it to have sex with somebody right mm. and we made fun of them but that affirmative consent and you're right every step of the way not just once right and it's enthusiastic like dave was saying so i think that's that's more the policy on college campuses today and it's okay to say and it's okay to say stop 
Yeah. And withdraw yeah. that consent if it's not right, if it's hurting. Or it doesn't um, feel good. Doesn't feel good. Exactly. And, 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 and don't have sex when you're smashed and stoned. Sex is much better when you can actually enjoy what's going on. Oh, my God. That is something I told my kids repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you've got a drunk partner coming up to you saying, I want you so bad, let's have sex. My advice would be to wait till the next day because you cannot have good consensual sex when your partner is just out of their mind with alcohol or drugs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's not consent at all. We've said, you know, if you're drunk, you cannot give consent. And the other thing, yeah, the other thing we want to just remind them because we're talking about consent is that if you keep begging your partner and they finally submit and say, yes, that's still not consent, Mm -hmm. that's submission. Even if they said, okay, fine, you'll leave me alone, I'll do it. That's not consent. That's not enthusiastic. That's submission. So let's just make that very clear. That's why we don't have no sex. Yeah, that's why because I say no, I think you understand no very well. Yeah, it's not happening. So one of the main things that we have to do in order to have great sex is to clear our busy brains so that we can be present in the moment. What kind of advice do you give your your clients about how to become focused and be present? You can even give that advice to Carol. Her brain is always busy. I think the most important thing, I mean, we hear a lot about mindfulness and meditation. I mean, it's everywhere from like the corner store to the gas station to the grocery store. But what I really think, especially when it comes to sexuality, mindfulness and being involved in the present moment is of utmost importance. And again, that goes back to the right side of your brain because we get caught up in that left side, right? that logical, like, you know, oh my God, what's going to go wrong? Am I going to last too long? Am I going to lubricate? Am I going to come? And once you have all those fears come up, it takes you out of the moment. And so again, it's, it's getting mindful. It's getting centered and, and how grounded. how do you quiet that left side of the brain? Yeah. So the way that I do that with my mental fitness work with my clients is really to help them understand that it's their choice, which voice they're listening to. So, so again, with mindfulness, it's trying to spend just a couple of minutes, every couple of hours, you know, even rubbing your fingertips together, rubbing your hands together and not letting your thought go to that right side of your brain, right? Mm. Or you can sit outside and listen to the birds if that works for mm-hmm. you. I mean, just just removing yourself from the thoughts, mm. the, the intrusive thoughts that are interfering with your ability to feel pleasure. And, and so finding a way to do that, doing it a couple of times, because what it does is it, it can kind of change the neural pathways so that your response goes to the right brain mm. and not always the left brain and the fear response. So it's a training. It's kind of a training of your brain. Definitely. Oh, interesting. It is. And it's kind of like if you think about going to the gym and you lift weights, your muscles are going to get stronger. Yeah. The same thing happens with mental fitness. You're training your brain to get stronger to deal with situations. And it takes time. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not like you go to the gym and you're all buff within, you know, one workout. No. It takes time. Oh, interesting. Babe, are That's you taking great. notes? Yes, I'm taking notes. Um, he always bugs me because I have to find, and I do find ways to get present again. And even if my brain wanders, I do find ways. I actually usually use a fantasy type thing when we're mm-hmm. in the midst of things. I think of that my my go to fantasy means go back, get back into the game here. Yeah, know? yeah. And so I do train it my and brain. And, that and way. it's no, it's not um, beating yourself up about that. Mm-mm. It's just saying, "Oops, I was thinking about something else," right. and kind of like a cloud in the sky. Yeah, just let it go. Yeah, right. Yeah, and get back to yeah. it. Yeah, no, it does yeah. happen. It depends what's going on in your life. So, or mm-hmm. maybe it depends on how David's acting from me. You know. Sure. So yeah. Blame it on me. Sure, Throw sure, me sure, under sure. the bus again. <laughs> 
So Janelle, usually we love to uh, end our show with some final advice. What would you Uh say would be the top two things that couples maybe might want to try tonight to increase their intimacy? Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, number one, I think communicating, you know, and even if you're uncomfortable with that, just saying, hey, this, this might not feel really comfortable, but I'd love to talk about what turns you on. What excites you? What floats your boat? You know, what what is it that we can try to improve our relationship? And a lot of that comes from a relationship of understanding and, you know, trusting your partner, compassion for your partner and understanding kind of where they're coming from. And that takes time. So I think communication is important. I also think that it's really important to pay attention to when we are hijacked. So when I was talking about the right side of the brain, it's just noticing and being aware that we are choosing to listen to that. I mean, I think like happiness in a relationship is kind of an inside game, right? There's a lot of stuff going on in your, in your head that we need to quiet some of that negativity down because we grow up in this sex negative culture that tells us it's bad and dirty. Um, and again, so I guess my most important advice would be to talk about it and to kind of give yourself a break when it mm-hmm. comes to, um, you know, owning your own sexuality. Wow, that's very cool. Well, we always talk about being happy, healthy, and horny, and you need to be happy and you need to be healthy in order to be be horny. horny. So yeah, you kind of have to have all of that together. So you're right, those choices you make to be happy and then the the exercises and things you do to be healthy will all help you be horny. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. Dr. Janelle Carroll, we are up. We are going to reserve the right to have you back. I think we can do a specific show on a specific topic. But for today, we want to thank you so much for sharing all that great information. Why don't you tell us and everyone out there how they can find your work online, your website, reach out to you? Yep. So my website is drjanellecarroll.com. And uh, I also have a TikTok account at docdocjanelle. Um, and I have an Instagram at makes perfect sex. Oh, uh, awesome. And of course, if you missed any of that information, you just can go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where all of our guests have their own guest page and with all their information. And you can even contact them there if you have any questions about their work. Absolutely. And you know, we're learning more and more every week, like we did this week, with our amazing expert guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you could always send us an email at ask at carolindavid.com. Alrighty, that's the end of another great show with with another amazing guest, uh, Dr. Janelle Carroll. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. This was really fun. It was on our part as well. And like we do every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. You can join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy And of course, always horny. Absolutely. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever.